Daily DVR is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com, the men's accessories marketplace. Cufflinks.com aims to drive men to one place where they can find all the accessories they could want to elevate their look each day. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use code DVR20 and save 20% off your order. No minimum. 2020, baby. It's a new year, and every month, Cufflinks has new amazing products, whether it's Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Disney, all that great stuff, or the sports stuff, NCAA, NBA, NFL, or, of course, the classic wearable art, the amazing high-quality Hook and Albert Oxen Bull, and, of course, their own Cufflinks.com brand. We encourage you to elevate your look when you get dressed in the morning. It helps to make you feel more confident and create your individual style. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today. You can get paid for your love. Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Better Call Saul. My name is Axel, and of course, my co-host is Ashea. Ashea, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Can't believe we're on the penultimate episode, but I'm excited to go down this bad choice road with you all. <laughs> yes, that is true. That's what, going, what we are going to be talking about. Better Call Saul Season 5, Episode 9, Bad Choice Road. You can find out more about us at DVRpodcast.com and be sure to check out Ashea on Twitter at Marinese Not and at HistoryofWesteros.com and also become a patron of History of Westeros at Patreon.com slash History of Westeros. Well, this episode last week we had Vince Gilligan directing and this week it's Thomas Schnauz, I think that's how you pronounce it, who directed and wrote this episode and he is... I believe he he's a co-showrunner and co-creator of the show. Um and it you can tell this one it had all the hallmarks of the great shots and everything, but it really kind of concentrated on the characters and the development of the story. We start out with this fantastic split screen and it just feels so much like Better Call Saul, you know, of course it is, but um, Breaking Bad. And it kind of right off the bat, I was like, okay, we're in the, we're in good hands again. And the way that they did this as usual, and I always try to pay attention, like, are they actually doing corresponding things in the split screen? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, or are they just split screening stuff? And they always do. Some such- of them definitely are. Yeah, yeah, they do. And but even when they're not, the feeling is there. You know, they're they're like juxtapositioning feeling. And mm-hmm. like when he takes a sip of the pee and she's drinking the water, <laughs> like it's just yeah. it was great. Yeah, I like the shot they had of like the rattlesnake next to the fish in the tank. You know, mm-hmm. the snake desert and the fish in the water i really liked the song they had for this scene it was the song you know something stupid you know the song something stupid like i love you yeah, and they haven't but i think it was really significant too yeah. even what the song is um you know jimmy and kim's relationship is a little stupid yeah <laughs> it's got to get kim hurt now i thought they i i'm pretty sure that they used this song before in, oh, really? Yeah, I think it was, I, I, you know, I didn't check. I should have checked before we started, but I didn't. But I think it was either season 
maybe it was season three and it was a scene with them and it was a split screen that they did between them and they used this song. Yes, you're exactly right. It was in season four. The episode title was even something stupid. Okay, cool. So yes, great, great memory there. And yeah, it was, uh, it had the split screen in it as well. Um, it was the split screen that was spanning eight months. Yes, that's right. That was when they jumped ahead. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, this is really interesting, actually, in the wiki description for the scene. It says, Jimmy and Kim are shown to be drifting further apart, even as they continue to live together. And see here, right, we see even as they are, you know, far apart, they're drifting together. Yeah. Like, closer together. Yeah. And that was kind of a theme of this episode, wasn't it? Like... It's it's crazy that the whole time we've been watching them together, they're so like not no PDA. We don't see them make out, and their relationship at times seems so business like. And then it's not until everything is going to total shit that they really are coming together, and you can just see it in every scene they, they're together in this episode, that they really just love each other. Like, the tenderness is there, the vulnerability. It's really beautiful, but it's in the face of both of them making horrible decisions. Yes. Yes. And I just, I, I feel like I say this so often, but I just have to give it up to Ray Seahorn for her acting that her sobbing and relief mm. her waiting for Jimmy to say, I'm okay. Just, she does so much, man. Whew. Yeah. That, yeah, it was, uh, it was something else because that's a kind of vulnerability. And when I think about what happens later in the episode, specifically her quitting her job, I think about this scene and mm. it also made me think about, when Jimmy um, kind of relates to her too, about what Mike said to him in the desert, like, why are you here? You know? And it's just like, she has that same, it's that same kind of adult child of alcoholic thing, like making big pronouncements or just being like suddenly emotional. And she, she just realizes in the time that he's gone and everything that's going on, how much, like, I mean, really think about it. If she doesn't have him, what else does she have? Yeah. Like that's Uh, her whole life. Yeah. A cold and sterile job that she doesn't enjoy that much. I know she gets some satisfaction out of it. Yeah. But that's what she has. Yeah, and no, and no, Lalo no real. The only f- guest What's we've that? ever seen. There. I said Lalo's the only guest we've ever seen at their apartment. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, remember when we were joking about who they would have over for like a party at their new house? Like, who? Who's gonna come over? Howard and Rich? Like, nobody's coming over the house. You know, Huel. It's it's not happening, and she doesn't really have much of anything without him. And I think that comes into like stark contrast when he's going through the desert. And I guess last episode I was kind of prognosticating that they would just jump and they would be home. But I'm, I was really happy that they didn't. And we got to see a little bit more of that and how the entire episode, Jimmy is just like, his lips are still chapped. You can see the marks on his neck 
and every, you know, like his arms, he's so sunburnt. It just stays through the whole episode. They didn't just kind of brush past that. It really, that experience, you know, meant so much. And then when we get to the point where the split screen breaks, we come back after the title and Jimmy and Mike are at the gas station and also Mike, like, wow, man, he is wrinkly and he's got a lot of freckles. <laughs> yeah, he sure does. Uh, I really am looking forward to uh, when this, when uh, the series itself ends going right into Breaking Bad, because it'll be so weird to see them looking young, yeah, relatively younger. Um, and yeah, he's one that I, you can definitely tell uh, a difference yeah, it was it was pretty shocking. It was pretty shock, and I, I mean, I was even thinking about that—not just the character, but like the actor. That's a lot. I mean, it's hot out there. That's a lot, and they shoot very sparse. They don't shoot like with so many crew members and huge tents everywhere and everything. Like they're he's, they're out there in the desert, you know. Yeah, I was actually thinking that too when I saw, saw him sitting there. I was like, man, that's rough. How how old is he again? <laughs> Yeah, I was contemplating. Yep. Uh, yeah, his health. And uh, they get picked up, and um, Jimmy kind of is just, I guess, he. what is he just wants to kind of get out of there or get dropped off or get to the courthouse. And Mike is like, we got to get our story straight. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, in a way, I feel like Jimmy is learning from Mike. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he is learning. He's learning from him there. And obviously, later in the episode, he goes to him to try to or calls him up to try to learn more from him, which is how to deal with his trauma. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was a That was some kind of scene. But we come, you back- know, it's interesting, oh, right? We had uh, Victor and Tyrus come up to pick him up. And as unnerving as they are, you know, um, Mike tells them what happened they figure out that they need to go clean everything up but they didn't think to get the car mike doesn't tell them it was just a total oversight that yeah, almost got killed but that was uh, mike's fault he didn't tell them yeah i had not thought about that at all because he does kind of go over everything like the other cars all the way, but because the other car that he's referencing is that the car that was following them. Yeah. So yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, and Mike would know that there were bullet holes. Yeah, it just was an oversight um, on his part, I think. And it is. I mean, Jimmy is off his game. Like, how can you not wander the de- the desert for thirty six hours and not be perfectly lucid minded? Yeah, that's true. That is totally true. Well, we go to the uh, back to the courthouse and Jimmy plucks down the seven million and they get another great shot mirroring because that's like the same window that Jimmy and Kim got their license at. Right. Like we've been here so many times before and they always do like these very centered shots and you get to see right through and we get to see them doing all like all the cash through the machines. I was wondering what the heck was going to happen, but of course they have to show us the process. Um, yeah. And then this made me think for a second that this was going to be something that was part of the episode. Maybe it becomes part of next week. I don't know, 
But the DA kind of says to him, like, who is your client? Like, who has $7 million cash just laying around, you know? Yeah, that's what I've been saying, which is, this is going to be so suspicious. And, of course, Jimmy ends up mentioning it to Lalo. But, uh, yeah, of course, they're going to come running down wondering who could possibly bring not only seven million but seven million in cash yeah and, and two dirty bags yeah and two a- dirty bags while you look like that <laughs> yeah so I mean- and even if wallow leaves he goes to mexico it has nothing to do with him it doesn't affect him it's got to affect jimmy saul goodman Yep. If he wasn't already on all of their radars for, you know, defending, you know, small time crooks, then he sure is now. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking that it's good. It, he has to, in the same way we've been to that window, he's been to that window. They know him, you know, and he's kind of the way he's so rapidly changing has to have an effect in this whole kind of lawyer community. And maybe it has a little something to do with too, why that particular lawyer goes nuts on him when he beats him in the case later. Mm. I was thinking that later, like, cause I don't know that we, I'm not sure that we had seen that dude before that Jimmy had done him wrong, but I think it's like an overall. Yeah, we know him. He's, a, he's a pretty consistent character, you know? But, that uh, it, but had he done something particularly? With- yeah, they just have like kind of a rivalry sometimes. It's kind of good natured, you know. Um, they've interacted more than it. They're both kind of, you know, low level uh, low public defenders. Yeah, you remember from like <laughs> one in particular when he was doing a lot of public defending. Okay. He had DDA Bill Oakley. Also, shout out to the actor there, Peter uh, Dyseth, however you say it. He tweets about the show um, every week, just about um, like fun facts about filming it and all that. Um, he's very interactive with the fans, but no, he's a very funny guy. I think that's awesome. Yeah, because that scene kind of he really went at him. Um, well, what what are we up to now? So uh, we're at Wallow. Oh, um, yeah. Well, we were specifically at him saying uh, goodbye to Lalo. Um, And I I wanted to point out that Lalo specifically says, you must have a story, which is funny because, yes, Jimmy does have a story. And then at the end of the episode, obviously, Lalo is um, keeps asking him, tell me again, tell me a story, you know, all of that. Um, But this is where Jimmy also discovers that. Lalo met Kim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got a nice, yeah, she's good. She married up, uh, you married yeah, up, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah, very complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it even more scary and creepy and really yeah. kind of builds it up. Yeah, and so it's immediately after we hear about how good Kim is that we then uh, segue into Jimmy and Kim together, where we see like, just what a good caregiver she is, how loving and all of that. We also get to see the damage to Jimmy's body. And I was shocked. You know, he he had bruises and stuff, which, I mean, he was carrying seven million, you know, two bags on each side. And that's where some of the bruises were. So it makes sense in retrospect, I guess. 
Yeah, it was it was really something, and it. it was almost a, and, and the way she kept on telling him like we should be going to the hospital even makes you think it's like interior, you know, like he's pulled muscles or, and he's, you know, he's like gouged himself. And the way she would, this is what I was saying before, like the way she's taking care of him and being so gentle and it's so loving. It's really a, a kind of a tender and beautiful scene. And then when she, when he kind of talks to her about what Lalo just had told him, um, he, you know, it kind of flips and the concern is that he is having for her hearing Mike echoing in her ear, in his ears, you know, she's in the game now, just him telling her, like begging her, stay away, stay away. But it's like, dude, you're the one who brought her into this. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you can't have it midway, you know, and Mm -hmm. he should have known that something like this was going to happen at some point, but just that kind of fear that's in his eyes. And when he was talking to Lalo outside the courthouse too, and by the way, I just love the way Nacho is just always chilling with that car, man. Nacho's <laughs> um, he was kind of like saying to him, like, so this is it, you know, I don't, you know, it, it seemed like he was again, kind of half-assed trying to maybe get out of being involved with him anymore, you know? And then yeah, Lalo goes, you're a friend of yep. the car like you're in it for life. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that kind of, you know, it this whole experience really is a crash course in, you know, you 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 know, you get what you want and sometimes not what you want, you know? He he is really kind of shocked and in shock about what happened and what where he's gotten himself into and the type of people that he's gotten himself into. But the money is a, is an allure, and when he sends Kim out to look at the bag, like telling her, "Oh yeah, it was worth it." That's when she finds the the uh, you know the mug or whatever that is, like water bottle, coffee cup. Yeah, it's a, yeah, coffee mug. Coffee mug uh, with the bullet hole in it, and it kind of you know hits home for her too, because she should have known. I mean, she went to visit a cartel guy in jail, you know, like. Yeah. Oh. Mhm. But yeah, I I think that I think that cup is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, you know, that she finds out at this point that Jimmy was lying just now. Yeah. Um, it's his first big lie to Kim saying he did it on his own. It was just his car breaking down. Um so we know at that point and so much happens after that before he finds out that she knows. Right. But there was also an interesting shot of her eye through the cup. And I know they like that kind of shot, but I thought it was interesting, especially because later we see Lalo also with his eye looking through a bullet hole. So they Mm. both have kind of a bullet hole through their head. Um, So that was unnerving to me a little bit. But more than that, I was thinking of it as a symbol of their relationship. And that there's this huge damage to it based on Jimmy's actions. Um, That's great. So, I, I inter- like, which is notable because later on, I'm going to get into this other symbol of their relationship that kind of flies in the face of that. Um, but we'll get there. Yeah. Well, we jump over to Mike and Gus having a meeting, a kind of a debrief 
about what went down and also Mike explaining that he had spied a tattoo on one of the guys who jumped Jimmy and he draws it and Gus pretty much immediately recognizes it. And I like the way that Gus says, I mean, Mike says, I'm not an expert, but I, he always says that, right? Like he's always, (laughs) he's always kind of like, he's going to tell you knowledge and he's almost always right, but he's always kind of like, I'm not an expert. Um, and then, um, Gus ends up calling Juan Bolsa and it turns out that it was Juan Bolsa really looking out for Gus and the way they talk in code and Juan Bolsa is like, well, I hope these things, you know, your misfortunes are over now. And then he lists all the things that Lalo did to him and, you know, Gus gives his standard, we will be very successful now in the future. But mm-hmm. it's really kind of interesting that relationship that, you know, the Salamancas have made many enemies. Yeah. Um, also, Gus, whenever he takes off his genial mask, so well acted and so disturbing. Yeah. But yeah, it's notable that Eladio, you know, that the, uh, Don, that he's trying to protect his own business by protecting Gus's business. And of course, he doesn't know what Gus is up to, but I wonder exactly what he thinks, what the issue is here. If he just thinks that Lalo is causing problems, if it's the Salamancas in general, we, I, I yeah, I, I think it's interesting that he decided to try to keep him in jail. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is, uh, yeah, I think he just knows that they're hotheads, you know? They have a reputation and, and I think that he, Gus is, Gus is an earner, right? Like when, when it comes down to it, Gus is an earner. And I think that you want to keep those type of people and you don't, you need guys like Lalo and Hector around, but they're also, they also cause problems because they're fucking crazy. (laughs) They clearly have a lot of power though, because he can't just cut them out. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the rub and that's why they have to, that's why I think it's cool the way they just speak in code and, you know, he, he has to figure it out by rec, by Mike recognizing the tattoo. And it's just really interesting the way that this whole thing is happening in the background, but it's really causing everything we see. Yeah. And that brings me to like Mike, you know, he finally brings up Nacho and he, he, tells him that you know without nacho the salamanca operation would just fall apart and he kind of he gives his own reason that's based in logic right um and then gus gives his rebuttal saying just he kind of just immediately says no nacho will stay you know then we control the salamanca operation and then mike you know gives his um, you know slightly more motivation like emotional uh, reason talking about you know even saying fear isn't a good motivator and you shouldn't have a gun to his father's head and all that that it doesn't sit well with him um and then gus brings up that uh nacho's like a dog that bites every owner um and you know lightly threatens putting him down um and of course i just want to point out that the other owner that he bit was hector uh, cause I, I was curious. I like, couldn't remember 
what Gus was referring to right there, but it was that he turned on Hector and now Gus doesn't trust him uh, with himself. Uh, basically is my interpretation of that. Cause I, I don't really think Nacho's bit his hand. Yeah, uh, no, I think that's what it is. I think it's like if, you know, I mean, Gus is hardcore. If you can turn a guy, he can be turned. Yeah, but he, I, yeah, I guess you're right. If he bit one owner, but I'm like, he definitely didn't bite every owner. Um, But my other question here is that if Mike seems to think that the Salamanca operation would fall, up, would fall apart, whereas, you know, Gus pushes against that idea um gus would not know more about what would happen but obviously without nacho i mean they were still saying tuco will come out there's tons of other salamancas yeah i, I guess you know i think that's I don't know that all to nacho i don't think so either and i think that that's a little bit of should mike even be saying this you know what i mean like he doesn't yeah, yeah it's a weak argument yeah. that mike says first yeah it definitely is and it comes from his heart and i think that gus knows that and Mm -hmm. i think though that's a little bit of a reason why he it's i think that gus appreciates that in mike throughout their relationship but he also knows that he can use it to control mike Mm. and you know like even when you think about bringing him to that village and all that kind of thing like pull like showing him his what the revenge he wants right like that kind of thing i think that it is the way that gus manipulates people and even though there's a kinship between them you know that he allows mike to kind of step out and now that he's kind of stepped to his like first lieutenant really you know um Mm -hmm. I think Mike feels like he can speak up about stuff like this, but yeah, his arguments weak. Why would you want to get rid of notch? I mean, for you, you've got, you've got a high guy in your enemy's camp. You're not going to let him leave. You need you, especially when the change is going to come, right? Like yeah. now is the time to keep him because you can yeah. secure your place by further using nacho. But I guess yeah. Mike, and no, Mike has no response to that yeah. either. He just leaves, but I, I think he leaves sourly for sure. And I think it's interesting to see a rift between Mike and Gus at this stage. I kind of thought they were better they were better settled at this point. And I don't know if this is going to lead to a certain uh, line drawn in the sand, a bit of a backstep between them uh, or what. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing as I was thinking like maybe that Mike thinks, okay, we can't get Nacho out, but at least we can get his dad out or remove that from what Gus is hanging over him. Like try to swing Nacho over without the threats and intimidation. Mm -hmm. And that I think might backfire, which is, you know, why I'm, why I think that Mike should probably just not be involved in this situation, but he's, I think he kind of sees Nacho and he sees this, father and son thing you know what i mean and it's like yeah. his son and him so he has his heart yeah. out for nacho yeah it's hard for me to imagine mike letting this go yeah me too me too and uh we see nacho actually he's talking to i'm not sure who he's talking to one of gus's guys on the phone 
Yeah, I couldn't tell the voice if it was Victor or Tyrus. I don't know their voices well enough because they don't talk that often. Yeah, <laughs> but it's one of them. Um, and he's. it's just basically, I think this scene is so quick, but it's just really to kind of show us that Nacho is itching. He wants to get out. He has so know. much hope in him. Yeah. yeah. And interestingly, I felt it was kind of promised. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that, which which is scary too, right? Like he feels now it's like they're going to screw me anyway. Um, But in the background, you see like his two girlfriends, it looks like they kind of, it almost looks like they cleaned up and they're making dinner for him or something. And I, I don't know. I got a little hopeful. Maybe they have their good days, bad days. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe like they, they didn't get meth that day or something, you know, they're something like that. But no, I did like seeing that he still has his two girlfriends. Yep. They're still back there. Um, all right, then we go to Jimmy and Kim, back to Jimmy and Kim. They're hanging out at home. They decide to take the, you know, Kim's take the day off. They're going to sit on the couch and uh, I guess watch some TV. We see that a little bit later. But first, we get um, Kim crushing oranges and Jimmy has, and this is shot whenever these scenes happen. I, I'm like, oh, they did this so well. Um, she's making fruit juice or something. And he just is getting PDSD kind of flashbacks to the, what I feel is like when that bullet went through the guy next to him mm, and you could kind of yeah. hear it, you know, like that's what the orange, really the blood. Yeah. I mean, there was a few times where he really saw the splatter. Yes. Oh yeah. And of course that looked like when the guy's brains got blown on him too mm-hmm. um this was done really well but i wanted to bring up you were bringing up earlier about the symbolism of kim looking through the bullet hole and then here's the symbolism of traditionally or- like oranges this is like the godfather the oranges are kind of like a symbol of death and mm-hmm. uh, i hope that it's not i actually I read a couple articles about this episode where people were making note of that as well mm-hmm. i mean it yeah it can be a symbol of death and symbolize the death that has already happened. <laughs> ah, that's interesting. You know, which was at that big altercation. Yeah. I like that. You're right. That's great. Okay. okay. I'm going to go with that. Um, <laughs> so they kind of. Well, even like that cell phone when it vibrates, how much it scares him. Yeah. When he gets the call. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's there. I can't believe he's not just sleeping and sleeping. He wakes up early enough to, for Kim to have called in sick and to be able to go back into work later. Yeah. Well, you know, the, both of them just are like high energy people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. They just like, they get up early. They, they're, they're, they're working, but I like this. Probably true of most lawyers. You're right. You're right. You have to have that active mind. Um, I like yeah. this scene though, when they're kind of like just hanging out on the couch together and you, you, you feel like, Oh, this is going to be nice. But of course he gets the call. He's got to go into the courthouse and Kim decides to go into work as well. So they're just like back to business. Um, and she goes in and she's, you know, says hi, she's dictating a letter but as she's doing it, she keeps on like looking at a picture behind her and it's of the pro bono account. And 
just kind of stumbling. It's such great acting the way she just is like thinking while you can tell while she's dictating the she's thinking about that, but also something else. Um, and then she just gets up, walks into Rich's office. We don't see hear the audio, but we see him kind of look a little bit distressed. Um, and the next thing you know, she's given her keys to to her secretary, uh, and she quit. Yeah, her, her her assistant was so confused by that abrupt departure. I mean, it was so abrupt. Kim had to get a a, a cab to take her home because she left the company car. I, I was just like, I mean, I kind of felt I could feel it when she was talking to Rich. And then I knew she's, I'm just saying to myself, like, she quit. Like, I couldn't believe it. And then she verbalizes it. I was shocked. Yeah, I called it. And Aziz could, could testify when she looks over at her pro bono work at that picture. I was like, she's going to quit. She's done. Uh, and there it was. Um, also, when I rewatched it, I watched it with subtitles. And with the subtitles, you can read a tiny bit of Kim and Rich's muffled conversation where she's like, I'm sorry for not tendering my resignation earlier. You know, she like you get a little glimpse at it. But if you're watching it on regular TV like I was, you wouldn't have seen that. So I, wow. I really appreciated the muffled conversation and the body language of it all. And how much it, that that communicated with how, you know, taken aback he was, but not angry. Because otherwise you might have been like, well, did she tell him the truth about the con? Uh, could have been another theory. But yeah, uh, I, I the thought- big notable thing, uh, this brings me to um, what I teased earlier, um, was that Kim grabs that Zafiro Anejo bottle topper, that like weird pineapple looking thing from the desk. You know? Yeah. And that's from uh, her con, the Victor Giselle con. That's the um, topper that they get, right? Um, During that drinking scene, you know, where they get all their drinks bought for them and all of that. Um, And that, to me, is a huge clue about her path, um, that she's embracing this side of things, this Jimmy con lifestyle. Um, So... Which is interesting because, again, we saw the bullet hole in the other symbol of their relationship, um, the symbol of their law-abiding, you know, good side, basically, ruined. And then we see the continuing, the continuance of the symbol of their con person lifestyle. That's great. I I think that's perfect because I think it says, it speaks to why she quit. And I almost feel like it's because she, she felt like she was keeping up a balance in her life, the pro bono work and then the bank work. Right. And now that, and the bank works like the bad stuff, the money, right. And the pro bono Mm -hmm. stuff is the good stuff. But now that Jimmy is so entrenched in the bad stuff, it's almost like, she's like, I'll just do the good stuff. He can do the bad stuff. And yeah. I can live off that money. I kind of feel like that's what she decided. Yeah. That, I was thinking the similar thing, uh, not in those words, you know, I think you really, uh, you know, hit the nail on the head there, but specifically with her thinking like, 
he's wondering about her plan about money. She's just like, you just made a hundred K. I think we have a cushion that like her seeing that they have a cushion now yep. would inspire a big life change. Yeah. And I, and I think it also does play into again, the kind of adult child of the alcoholic making like crazy choices um, very quickly just um, like broad strokes of behavior. And that's kind of the road that she's embracing at this point. And as we see like later in the episode with the scene with Lalo, she's in, you know, she's not, she's no shrinking violet. You know, when Kim decides to do something, she puts that ponytail back and she gets to fucking work. Think, you know, that's kind of, I think what happened is like, she's just like, why am I still doing this? And then it's just like, I'm going to quit. And then she just does it. And it's kind of nuts too. I, it was funny. Um, I saw on uh, one of these Facebook groups, somebody put, what was the point? He, someone put a post. Why did Kim quit? What was the point of the law firm at all? And all these people like kind of laughed, but it made me think, you know, it was like one of those dumb questions that makes you think. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, that's, but that's kind of what she thought. I think she's like, what was the point of all that? I I liked, uh, we're we're jumping ahead of things there. Uh, But just to mention it here, I loved Kim's line. She's like, I achieved that. I did that. You know, he's like, but what about all your hard work? Blah, blah, blah. Your goals. She's like, I, I did it. Yeah. There's no, like, I got to hold on to this. Yeah, I thought that was uh, crazy. Before we get there, we've got a a couple more scenes, two more scenes, I guess, to get through. Taking a little break from this show to remind you again of our amazing presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. They've been with us for over a year. We're so proud to have them. So go out and support them. If you're a listener to any of our podcasts, take a moment right now, type in cufflinks.com slash DVR into that old web browser and you will arrive and you will be amazed, happy, surprised at the amazing products that cufflinks.com has. You might think to yourself, hey, I don't have an informal event coming up. You know, I'm not into cufflinks. But guess what? They have a lot more than that. Actually, I'm wearing a pair of Star Wars socks that they sent me. Cufflinks.com is where it's at. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Yeah, we get to see Hector. Good old Hector. Lalo goes and meets with him at the old folks home. And man, Lalo, he's such a sweetheart. You know, he loves Hector. He's telling him, you know, we're going to get, we'll get Gus one day, but I got to go back to Mexico. Family's everything. The nurse comes up and he's like, <laughs> he loves these birthday parties. <laughs> like, Hard Hector loving anything. I know. That was so funny. But you know, it's like, you imagine people, I remember when my grandmother my ornery grandmother who used to run chase me with a wooden spoon was at the old folks home and they would always treat her like that and be like, Doris. Oh, she's so sweet. Like You have no idea lady. (laughs) You know, I appreciate the effort, but no. Um, But as always though, I am always just, I, I hate, I don't like how, how moved I am by the caring that Lalo has for Hector. Yep. Like he really, I really feel for him, even though they're both so terrible. 
Yeah. Like just to see your, you know, this man who raised him, for him to see him brought so low and so helpless and weak, you can really tell how upset it makes him. Yeah. And then you think, but then as soon as you see Gus and you think about, you're like, ah, fuck, fuck Hector, you know? But then you're kind of like, sure. Yeah, they really do get you. But that this guy is such a great actor. You I know? can fuck Hector whenever I see him with that little like the face he makes and the way he like inhales. It's just this really evil face. Yeah, and the bell. They they always get a nice shot of that. They love that the bell's back. And am I am I the only one that was expecting at the end of Happy Birthday for Hector to like do a ding? <laughs> I was, I was do that. Like that's why Hector, why he actually does love the birthday parties. Does he? gets in a little part of the song yeah it gets the day that would have been nice though like because they did a really nice shot of lala walking through the door and then his reflection and you know it kind of is like a little bit mysterious is he coming in or out it, it was a cool shot it would have been cool if you heard like a couple dings as he was leaving that would have been kind of neat. Um, well, we're going to let's we're, we had talked about we're just going to kind of continue on with what Lalo does here. Um, first, he does. He gets into the car with Nacho and he says, you know, let's let's head out back to Mexico. And there they go. They they drive off and they're ended up at the same well, the same spot where Jimmy met the twins um, which was kind of cool. I love it when they return to something like this. And it's kind of cool too, because you think about all the effort and time that Mike and Jimmy went through to get back from there, you know, or that particular area. And then to see Nacho and Lalo just kind of drive there the whole time they were there. And then they, uh, when they eventually go and drive and, you know, he gets the idea when he's standing there and he wants to go and check out where Jimmy's car is, I kept on thinking like, no way Nacho's car is going to break down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when Lalo's like standing there and Nacho goes to get in the car, right? Right before Jimmy has that last minute decision to, you know, check out Jimmy's story. I had this brief moment where I was imagining uh, Nacho driving off lalo standing there only for no one to come for him and then he has no reception and he's in the exact same boat as jimmy that would have been classic and i actually i actually thought <laughs> yeah that would have been great see i was even hoping for man what a great actor he when nacho was just kind of standing on the car and they they do great work on this show to not make the mistakes that a lot of TV shows make where someone is acting to the camera in front of another person who, if they were no watching their face would totally know what they were feeling and thinking. And Lalo yeah. know, must know that Nacho doesn't really like him, you know, but the way that Nacho kind of is on, is outside of the car. Lalo already gets in it. And then we see Nacho just kind of stand there for a second and not get back in the car. And mm -hmm. it's just, and for a second, I almost thought that Nacho was going to shoot him. And when he, when he climbs, when he's climbing down to the car and climbing back up, I thought Nacho might push him. And I wonder if the actor 
was kind of projecting that because even his body just seemed kind of tense. And it just, you know, because he sees with Nacho leaving, he's seeing a pathway to getting out, right? Like that's part of the getting out thing that he's completed the work for Gus. He's getting rid of, getting rid of Lalo. Um, but obviously that doesn't happen. No, no, not so much there. And you had Uh, mentioned before that scene of, um, uh, Lalo looking through the bullet hole, the whole thing of him going down and looking at the car was awesome. Yeah. We exclaimed, we're like, Whoa, (laughs) both of my knees would blow out if I jumped from that height. Jeez. Yeah. That was, that was crazy. Uh, also I, I always forget the cousins have names, Marco and Lionel. Lionel. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Lionel does not. Yeah. Marco and Lionel. Anyways, I will, I will forget in a day. Yeah. I guarantee. Well, it's uh, good to call them the twins. I always think them. Yeah, uh, you know those bullet holes. How confusing do you think those must have been to Lalo? Like, put yourself in his shoes. Why would there be bullet holes in in Saul's car? And he lied about it, but still brought you money to get you out. You know who's up to this? <laughs> yeah, it, it's um when, but I have to admit, as soon as he was looking. And he found them. I thought to myself, and I know Kim says it later, but I thought to myself, he's going to ask what happened. They should just say that some kid shot up the car and pushed it off a cliff because they found it out in the middle of the desert. Yeah, that was my thought. Exactly. I was like, this is easy to get out of. Yeah. And that's why I might not believe you, but you have an excuse. Exactly. And it makes total sense. It really does. Um, all right. So now we're going to jump back to Jimmy. Uh, we already talked about the part where the, the, the lawyer is hounding him and he kind of runs away and hides. Yeah. It mirrors well. that great, uh, you know, Howard scene where Jimmy's, you know, running after Howard, haranguing him. Now, you know, Jimmy's in the same position, but shout out to that one shot of Jimmy overwhelmed in the stairwell and Oakley just, pops up in the window and, and gives him a hard time some more. Uh, just very good comedic moment. <laughs> it was. It was, and it threw me off to understanding what Jimmy at why Jimmy and Mike were meeting. You know, I was yeah. I thought to myself, like that happened so quick and I was like, wait, was were they supposed to meet? Is something happening? And, but really it was just that Jimmy didn't have anyone else to talk to about what had happened. And he's a guy who processes life by talking. Yeah. He needs to talk about it with someone and he's not, he's lying to Kim about it. So he just basically has this kind of touching conversation with Mike and, you know, Mike just says to him, you know, one day you just won't think about it. No, that's kind of true. Yeah, although, I mean, if bad things keep happening, keep resetting the things you need to not think about. How many traumatic things is Jimmy Saul going to go through before the events of Breaking Bad even, let alone yeah, after? That's true, yeah. And, and, and I mean, even when you think about Gene, like, how, like when he gets up and he looks in the mirror and he's like, there's got to be so much. I mean, 
I'm sure sometimes he's not thinking about everything, but a lot of that time, I don't think he's let it go. Yeah, I don't think so. And I think that it, it, it speaks to the bad choice road that Mike took too. Right. You know, yeah. you just, that's the big speech we get here. Very yeah. good. speech. Yeah. And you just, you just won't think about it. And, to think about and that's the point is that if you don't think about it the next time guess what you're gonna make the same bad choice <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's gonna keep on happening um yeah so. i mentioned it to you earlier um but on twitter i saw a great tweet from at blazy gardener who pointed out um and I was really curious about this. I'm glad to get some clarity on it. Uh, when Jimmy's standing on the sidewalk after this bad choice road speech, um, there's two skaters in the background behind him. And it's a little distracting even after that moment. But when you think about it, this moment references the two skaters that he hired to scam Mrs. Kettleman uh, which is really the defining moment that originally set him down this particular bad choice road, I think. Yeah, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so I loved it. And, I and you know, obviously even Jimmy references it later, but this bad choice road speech applies to both Jimmy and Kim here and Nacho. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Ev- like, how about how about everything having to do with the whole series and Breaking Bad? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Not uh, everyone went down a bad choice road. Um, we went down a road, no matter what. Yeah, and and it was Kim that had originally said to him, you know, you're gonna like ask. You're asking people to commit crime from you yeah. know. You're leading that. It's not. It's an interesting concept because. It's it, it's like uh, it's almost like a magical power that he has, and and it's been said in the past, I think, by uh, by his brother and by Howard, like just everything around him. It's kind of like he has an aura that affects other people and makes them make bad decisions too, you know. And and here it started off with those skateboarders, and we and I I just think back to that awesome scene of him being the carnival barker and them taking the things and going off and (laughs) man that was awesome that seems like so long ago it was just like six episodes ago Um, right um i also wanted to say in this this scene with mike another thing i thought was notable is it um reminds us that jimmy doesn't actually know who mike is working for and thus who he's working for before this he just knew that they wanted they wanted to make sure lalo got out so that really doesn't tell him much of anything. But in this scene, Mike lets something slip where he, when he says this is not the end of the story. Uh, it really isn't the end of the story considering Breaking Bad as an aside. Um, but so Jimmy has a little bit more of a clue about who he's working for now. But he really doesn't know much at all. Yeah. And I think that that's. That's an interesting position for him to be in that he desires so much to be in this world and really for the money and but he really has no idea what the fuck he's doing. You know? Yeah. And neither does Kim as we'll soon see. But but she, maybe she does. Um so Kim arrives home and so, real quick question, those oh. keys 
those keys that she sees when she arrives home in the cab? Does that like I guess Jimmy rented a car? Is that is that did you take note of that? Yeah, I did. I was wondering. That was my guess was that that's what she saw. She looked down. She's like, oh, Keith, you know, he he got a rental car, I I, I guess. Hmm, I think maybe it was there to signal to us that he was home, right? That that was her signal. She knew he was home. Um, maybe it's a signal that he got a new car and we're going to see it next. And it's, yeah, you know, I was wondering if he bought yeah. a car. Yeah. That was my other question. Like he got a flashy Saul Goodman mobile, right? Yeah. It seems weird that he would get it so, so quick. That, like, I mean, he was beat. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, he's definitely going to get a car. We know that he's not going to keep renting a car if he did rent one. And I'm very curious what color his car is going to be and how flashy it'll be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was interesting, but that's I, I noticed that too, and I wonder. I want. I guess we'll see if that if that had any further meaning past the kind of uh, just moving the story along and getting it so she knows that he's home and she can kind of come into the bedroom. And again, mm-hmm. this is another really tender scene. You know, again, she's telling him you need to go to the doctor. Um, and then she doesn't want to talk about it at first, but you know, he can't wait. So she tells him, um, that he, uh, that she quit and, uh, he is not happy about it. I was shocked. I didn't expect him to be that upset at all. I I, I did. Really? Yeah, I never would have thought that Jimmy would, would would I mean maybe I would have thought that he would, you know, question her, that he would ask her more questions, but he was he was quite upset. Yeah. Quite upset. But I, I think he was so upset because it was, you know, a bit of projection and a bit of guilt on his end, plus mm-hmm. the whole, you know, you're leaving success for failure kind of thing. But yeah, it was a lot on. It was mostly on his end. Um, not even due to real concern about Kim, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't know. I think maybe. It, I mean, I got the feeling that it was just, you know, bad choice road. He he recognizes that this the dominoes keep on falling. Um, he wanted this thing to be over. He thought maybe he could just go make a quick hundred grand from, from this, from Lalo. And then we'd go back to normal, but he, I think he's also seeing the effect that he's having on her and feels like the reason she quit is because of him and maybe because of the money too. And that. You know, I mean, I think it's that push pull that their relationship has and that he consistently has, which is he loves her and he wants her to be a part of this, but then he also wants to hide it from her. And I think at this point, he is feeling like he's in so deep that this is just like another bad thing that he has caused to happen because you can see in his face. You know, it kind of gets blurred because when I was watching it again, I realized that this is a really intense, this scene alone is really intense before Lalo arrives because he kind of, the phone call from Mike comes in the middle of them fighting about this. And um, he really is like desperate. You're right. He's like so upset. He's like, no, you can't, you know, and I, I think it's just, 
I, I don't know. You know, he respects how hard she works. And I think he's just feel, I think it's guilt really that, that he's kind of pushed her to this and given her like this false sense of some kind of freedom where he really now feels trapped. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that Kim, thankfully she does not take shit. And she does immediately push back at Jimmy, you know. I mean, you can tell she's really surprised that he gets at her like this. But she pushes back. She's like, I supported your name change. This is, you know, she's like, this is none of your damn business. And she's very, she's, uh, you know, really good at putting her foot down, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which which is powerful. And it, it, you know, leads us into, you know, just her going on the offense later. Um, as well, where yeah, he you're right. He barely takes Mike's call in time. Yeah, right? but you know what? So, now, now that you say it, I think you were right. It was you're right. It wasn't about a concern for her because he was. Uh, that's what you're. It was really. A, I guess I was thinking like because he loves her, but it really was from guilt because. You're right. When she said that to him, like what I've done for you, like I need you to support me now. It's a rash decision, but obviously that job wasn't good for her either, right? Like, so, and he knew how much she enjoyed the pro bono stuff too. Yeah, he can still feel guilt for sullying her innocence, which if he loves it, you know, he loves her because of that being one of her traits. So, you know, I've kind of convinced myself the other way, but there obviously, no matter what, we know there is love um, wrapped up in why he, you know, um, is not upset about this. But I, yeah, I don't think. Selfish. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah, it's mostly selfish. But he st- he loves her clearly in it. But she's like, no, this you you don't get to decide this. You need to. All I want from you is your support. Yeah. Um, and then Mike calls and, uh, <laughs> in the middle of it all speech, <laughs> what's that? He doesn't know, Mike doesn't know Kim at all, but, uh, take note that the phone call was on. So Mike got to hear Kim's speech too. Yeah. Got- that, that is a great point. And I thought that that was, this scene was such genius because the fact that Lalo is in the apartment is so scary and it really it it did remind me so much of like that first time that jesse came over walter's house in breaking mm-hmm. bad and you can feel yeah. the energy of that world when they're, when they're sitting at dinner yeah like you can feel that world entering the other world and like just worlds collide and it's just not right and also you feel fear for the safety of the other people that they're getting involved in this. And just the fact that Lalo was in their apartment and sitting on their couch and then to have Mike racing, like they did such an awesome car shot of him speeding, put down the phone and just put it somewhere where he can't see it. So he, the whole time he's listening and then he's got the gun on it. It was just, it was absolutely fucking amazing. I, I couldn't even breathe. During this whole scene, I didn't know if Lala was going to all of a sudden shoot them both or shoot Kim or what the hell he was going to do or Mike was going to take him out and miss or it was just, man, it was just something else. And the way he keeps on tapping on the fish tank. Yeah. Uh, the, the fear he can command with just three words. Tell me again. Yeah. 
That was and cool. yeah, I mean, Jimmy and Kim end up right in the crosshairs, literally, of the gun, of Mike's gun, you know, really s- symbolizing that they are in the game. They're right smack dab in the middle of it all, right? Uh, but obviously, Kim's the MVP, the MVP pretty much always, but especially in this episode, because Jimmy was so close to crumbling. Like, he would have crumbled without Kim there, who is able to lie so convincingly despite that she she knows it's a lie. Like, she knows it's a lie, but she still can bluster up this righteous, this self-righteous anger, you know. Uh, she's, I feel like her strategy is always, she goes on the offense, right? Yep. In her arguments, she just shuts people down. She just gets herself worked up, and it, it works. Like, Lalo leaves without a word to them. Yeah. And... I want to point out that she's 5-0. She's shut down Jimmy, Chuck, Howard, Kevin Wachtel, and Lalo. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And when she started coming out with it, like, if you leave anything in the desert, people shoot at it. Like, I, it was, I, I, it was so, it was such great writing because she just said exactly what would have got him to think that it didn't mean anything. And it was also crazy the way that if she had not, it was like seeing the bullet hole through the mug prepared her for this moment. She didn't, that didn't throw her. She wasn't so scared when he came in. She knew what the consequences could be, right? She was holding that in her hand. You know, I saw someone um, on this exact point, just real quick. I saw someone point out that in that scene, Kim seems to quickly look over into the room mm. where the bag and the incriminating mug are right before she goes after Lalo because she realizes, like, there's proof here. Yeah, that's smart. And, but you could see the way it would also, like, propel her into kind of fabricating knowing the consequences you know and make her even go on the offensive more and the way lalo just kind of stands there listening to her and he's just got his hand that you know you we had seen the gun him lounging out man spreading on the on the couch and man this was so great and like mike up there it was just fantastic and then when he finally walks out um, and he's standing there with Nacho. It was just really interesting for Mike to be kind of spying and seeing Nacho with Lalo like that. Mm. I thought that was kind of interesting that I almost felt like Mike might take a shot at him just for Nacho. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, like, I mean, obviously like what a quick question there, which is, Mike had uh, Lalo in his scope, but what were, what were what were they expecting to do to to try to to save Jimmy and Kim by killing Lalo? But that causes so much trouble. Why wouldn't they just let Jimmy and Kim die? Yeah. You know, in all reality, that seems like that would work better with Gus's plans. I think you're absolutely right, and I think that Mike was doing that out of his heart. And I think that it probably, I don't, I don't think that Gus told him to go there. Yeah. I think Nacho gave him the call or not a call, probably a text. Nacho contacted him right at, right as they went there. And, uh, and Mike went on his own. Mike is Nacho's. He has Nacho can contact Mike. So, 
Yeah, I think that makes total sense. And it just shows how, you know, there he's making choices that are out of bounds with what's going on. But also maybe that's kind of part of the bargain for Mike to re-enter this world, right? Like, yeah, he's going to listen to Gus, but I think he feels a little bit like, okay, but I'm also going to listen to myself. But, yeah. you know, that's maybe not such a good idea because last time that happened, he had to end up shooting a German guy in the head. Yeah, Gus might discipline him, you know, make him swallow some nasty medicine, yeah. basically. We'll see. Uh, uh, I will say, um, so Kim, you know, she really just lays down the truth for for Lalo, right? Like, you need to get your house in order. You need to be able to then. Like, she's 100% correct there. Yeah. That's good advice. That's good legal advice, basically. Like, you you should be able to trust trust someone. Someone. Uh, um, but this... This uh, conversation, this speech she gives is directly what leads to Nacho getting dragged to Mexico, to him being dragged deeper into things. Yep. Yeah. Because of him's statement. We got a long ride ahead of us. Yeah, I know. Poor Nacho. He's been driving around all day out there, back, had to wait in the car. And now he has to drive Lalo all the way to Mexico because you know Lalo isn't driving. Yeah. Yeah. He'll just be sitting there in the seat. Um, but I wouldn't. I was thinking, like, are they going to. That, that, is that really the best car to go through the border with? You know, I mean. <laughs> That's also a very good point. Yeah. We'll have to. We'll, I was also like. Nacho just have his passport on him all the time. Yeah. I think actually back in the day, you know, they used to just let you cross with a driver's license. Thinking about yeah, that's where I went with it. I guess he has an ID, but uh, I'm I'm not used to such lax uh, border control. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I remember one time I was, uh, I know we got to end the show. We came to the end here, but I was uh, one time I like almost accidentally cross the border i was <laughs> just driving around <laughs> california and i almost i was like started going down a road and then it was like u.s mexico border i was like okay and i just turned around and i was like oh my god this is the worst thing to do <laughs> but nobody pulled me over um but uh yeah what an episode we only have one left next week the season finale and this was a long one too this was an uh i guess on uh, for TV uh, broadcast terms, it was one twenty-five. But I guess kind of what did it come out to about fifty-six? About yeah, about fifty-six exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, what I thought. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see what happens next week. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, Do you know the episode title for next week? Should you, I say it? You go ahead. I don't. I don't usually watch the previews, but go ahead. I haven't seen. I, I haven't seen the preview, but the episode title is something unforgivable. Wow. Yeah. Well, so we'll, we'll this, see what that is. Yeah. That, that could be a long list <laughs> with this show, but yeah, I can't believe it. We're making it to the end. This has been great. Another great week. And, uh, I appreciate you talking with me about better call Saul. This is just amazing. And, uh, I want to give a shout out to Gareth who I know has been, um, watching along and Anthony as well. Um, they reached out and were complimenting the show and the podcast. And it's just so many beautiful shots in this episode. I just think about this whole season 
it's just been wonderful so far and really continues to be definitely the most propulsive season of Better Call Saul because this just it keeps on moving and moving. Definitely the fastest season so far in my book. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and we'll see next week. I'm sure it will not slow down. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Do you have any final words? No, I'm good. All right. Well, take care, everyone out there. I hope everyone's feeling healthy and staying safe. We'll be back next week for the finale. Peace out. <laughs>